Okay, inquiring minds want to know. The letterboxed four, did they steal that from you or did you steal that from them? Because <laughs> it feels like you were doing that first and then all of a sudden they started doing that. Uh, I think they stole it from me, yeah. That, that is some larceny. That is some, some corporate level thievery right there. <laughs> okay, I'm glad somebody noticed. I, I you know absolutely what? <laughs> noticed. Like, what is this and, shit? Yeah, notice in the sense that I mean, I'm not gonna make a big fuss about it. It's just Letterbox Friday and and, and such. <laughs> but yeah, I noticed they started doing it too. But you know what? I think because while doing it, I started tagging them and they follow me. Oh, uh, so you there, did this to yourself. Uh, yeah, most likely. Yeah, <laughs> in a way, I guess. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, just you know. Just just know, some of us out there noticed. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 295 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the matinee.ca. You're home for cinematic passion and perspective. If there's one thing I miss as a film lover, it's the community. I miss the conversations one used to be able to have online, the people one used to be able to meet both in person and online, actually. There was once real discussion and real connection, and now... A lot of it is hot takes and bad takes and bad takes posing as hot takes to say nothing of the fact that the platform largely responsible for being a home to this community is thoroughly on fire. But it's not the case everywhere. Take my guest today. She's a believer in community, more so when it comes to amplifying voices of representation, and especially where the Latinx community is concerned. In doing so, she makes this passion that many of us share a better place by calling attention to interesting stories, interesting voices, and interesting voices talking about interesting stories. We've only ever had one other first-time guest this year, so I am super stoked to be welcoming a new guest to the show from Latinx Lens, Their League, and The Daily Chala. Cross a wire from Los Angeles. Rosa Parra is here. How are you, Rosa? Oh my God, what a wonderful intro. Now I have to live up to this. (laughs) (laughs) And it's early for you, too. Like It's not like I'm making it easy on you. Wow, man. Um, you know what? No, uh, uh, thank you so much. Very generous of you to um, flower me with such kind words. I, I, I humbly uh, appreciate it. But you know what? No, thank you for the invite. Uh, I've been I've been meaning to, to come on uh, to this podcast and glad that we're finally um, making this happen and yeah. honored uh, to be one of, of the first uh, guests here. Hopefully not the last time. <laughs> on 295 we've got a big one to get to so we cannot waste any more time we are going to talk about wakanda forever we'll be flipping the record over to play the other side but first we need to learn about rosa this is know your enemy All right, apparently you've heard my little song and dance here, so you know how this goes. Rosa Parra, what is the first film you can remember seeing in a theater? Oh, my. Um, First movie I've ever watched in the movie theater was actually Twister (laughs) 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 Uh, from 1996. A little eight-year-old Rosa was sitting um, in front of the big screen and having that big twister coming at her in the biggest screen possible was something that obviously was memorable to her that uh, up to today I, I still remember that I vividly remember sitting in that theater and having that experience but yes it was twister <laughs> you know what's funny about twister like 
Twister is garbage. Twister is, is hold on. Twist, hold, hold, hold your, hold your takes, people here. Hold your ats. Hold on, hold on. It is, it is dumb. Okay, I love it. I love it to pieces. This is my brand of dumb, but it is, it is spectacularly stupid. And yet, it's, it's, it's this weird thing. Where, okay, I mean, first of all, the amount of actual talent they amassed in that movie. Like there are Oscar winners and Oscar nominees that make up this little band of merrymakers. But it, it's it's a brand of stupid that you don't see that often anymore. Where somebody's like, "Yeah, we're the movie about the storms." You know, you don't you, like you don't see that one coming up quite as much. I think the last time I can really think about that was something like The Gray, where everybody knew they were going to watch Liam Neeson punch wolves. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that you bring up Twister because it's it's it gives me fond memories as well as my my brand of stupid, even though it wasn't my first experience yeah. uh, watching a movie now let's let's talk about this experience tell us tell people about like where did you go who did you go with like paint a picture here my neighbors must have taken me because I, I would rarely go to the movie theater when i was younger mm-hmm. um, i would go maybe once or twice every couple of years mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it, it was my neighbors they were very um they, they were very outspoken and they were like, you know what? There's this cute, uh, cool uh, movie about tornadoes and we, we need to go watch it. You want to come with you with this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's go. Uh, I've never been to a movie theater. So I'm like, yeah, let's, let, let's give it a shot. And yeah, they, they took me and yeah, I, I it's been, uh, like you said, it's not the best film ever. Uh, it's not one of the greats out there. However, it does have that rewatchability factor. Well, yeah. And I cannot <laughs> emphasize enough how many times I've re-seen this movie. I watch it at least a few times every year. Um, I have to. And it's just very nostalgic. It has that that feeling of like, of that homey feeling to me. Um, I don't know if the theater is still there, um, but I'm sure it was a theater in the city of commerce because in East LA, I'm, I'm born and raised in East LA, California, here in the US. And... Yeah, City of Commerce, which is the the city adjacent to East LA, and mm-hmm. yeah, that 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 movie theater there it was our, our go to theater. Um, that <laughs> I must have visited like three or four times in my <laughs> my whole childhood, but it was my go to theater. Um, <laughs> you know, the the one thing that you're bringing up that I haven't actually thought about is I would wager that with a lot of these stories that people are telling me about their first time going to a movie, that yeah. a lot of the theaters are gone. I know, I know. Certainly, <laughs> in my case, I know the theater is gone because it's one. In downtown Toronto, that's a condominium now. But that's mm. a, that's that one little bittersweet part of the of the story that I haven't actually thought about. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm and I'm with you. I, there are, there are lines from that movie that I can quote without you know without breaking a sweat. And I think I'm actually overdue for a watch. So if people see Twister turn up in my letterbox feed, that's why it's all Rose is doing. Um, <laughs> You're what, welcome. <laughs> what is the, what is the last film you watched? Any medium? Okay, so I had the opportunity to. Um, to cover the AFI Fest, the American Film Institute Film Festival, which was a few days back. And I watched a, a couple of movies. So okay. one of the ones that I, I like to talk about, it was actually my first in-person um, film festival that I've done since 2020. Uh, the it's crazy, isn't right it? Now. Oh, you my know? God. You're like, I remember this. This is yes. weird. We used, we used to do this. <laughs> yes. Uh, and a, a, a feeling I very much missed. And, mm-hmm. and um, But you know what? One of the movies that really stood out to me, there was a couple that did, but one that stood out to me the most um, was uh, No Bears uh, from Iran, directed by 
um, Jahar Panahi. And unfortunately, he's an Iranian director who just recently got uh, arrested. He's in prison right now in Iran um, for obviously making films that are outspoken against the government. And I believe um, the situation occurred that his fellow, um, some fellow filmmakers of his were also arrested. He went to ask uh, the whereabouts and how they were doing. He went to try to visit them. And unfortunately, they just kept them there uh, when he went to, to see about his um, friends. So, yeah, this is his latest film, which ironically uh, follows a director, a film um, director played by Panahi himself. And he, uh, the movie explores the challenges and the obstacles of filming movies and even something as simple as taking a a photo uh, uh, because he's a photographer in the film and how that can complicate things, all those obstacles and hurdles he needs to overcome, particularly in a, in a city, in a country that's very conservative and, and, and um, their whole uh, thing, it's, it's about tradition and values and how Mm -hmm. they're they're very, um, very uh, outspoken about not allowing a lot of people to photograph or film uh, their traditions and so on. Now, is is No Bears, like a lot of his films lately have been much more uh, kind of much more documentary, like much more real life. Yeah. Cinema verite is the word I'm going for here. Was right. this one fictional or was this one uh, like more more verite? To me, you know what? That's an interesting question because at first I thought it was going to be a documentary because he's the one in it. But it, it, to me, it, it felt like a little bit of both. Um, okay. It is fictional because it, it does follow uh, certain characters here. In, in, in the movie, he is um, directing a film virtually because he can't even be there in person to direct the movie that he's right. trying to do. Right. But no, it, it does feel like it's fictional slash uh, documentary like as well. Yeah. Panahi's an interesting cat because he, I mean, years ago he did, this is not a film, which he couldn't like, he couldn't actually make a film because he was under house arrest and right. it was, you know, the, the story goes that it was smuggled out of Iran in a cake, mm. um, which leads to its own kind of questions because it's like Dropbox is a thing, you know, yeah. but um, he's created some really, really interesting stories when i think about things like this is not a film and close curtain and even jafar panahi's toxie um and and yeah i I didn't get to see it it played a tiff i didn't get to see it but it it was Mm -hmm. it was a like how did it play at afi like i guess it was it well received it was uh, very well received, and I mean the the uh, the theater was full. I, I was mm-hmm. surprised, um, in, in a way, but not really. Now that I've <laughs> digged into it and I've done my research, I'm like, okay, I I completely understand now why it's timely but, now. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know. What a way to to further validate <laughs> the the thematics of your film than to yeah. sadly compare it to what you're experiencing right now. I think one thing I'm really thankful for on my on my film going journey is uh, is discovering Iranian film because it's mm. they are such gorgeous stories. Some of the yes. most beautiful stories I've ever seen have been in Iranian cinema, and I don't think I ever would have come to that you know as as a you know mainstream moviegoer. So I'm really really thankful about learning about. Um, Filmmakers like Jafar Panahi. So, okay, thank you for reminding me because I got I to move this up the queue. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I can get to a screening of it because I have such places here in Toronto. I'm, I'm lucky that way. So I got to move this up the queue. Thank you for reminding yes, me. No bears. Good call. Course. Rosa, what is one of the worst films you have ever seen? Um, 
It's going to be a 2022 movie. Oh, my. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be up there. All right. At the end, like within the next 10, 15 years, I'm still going to be. Can't wait. Re- Get it. All right. Recalling it. this movie. Let's hear it. It's Blonde. Oh, um, my goodness. Yes, yes. Blonde has done nothing but fill me with more and more dread for even watching a second of it. I really hope that it doesn't get any kind of Oscar love because like I, I watch Oscar nominees just to kind of be a little bit of a completist and have that conversation. Yeah. So if, you know, I, if, if I don't want to watch a film, I just kind of, you know, I vote with my wallet and I just sit it out. Yeah. But then if it gets nominated for Oscars later, I'm like, all right, I guess got to watch it now. Um, so I kind of hope that nothing comes of that movie and I can skip it because kind of like what you're already alluding to, and I'll get you to elaborate in just a second. I have heard nothing but terrible things about this movie. So why, what is it about this movie that you hate so much? Like I, I adore and I love my girl, Ana de Armas. Mm-hmm. And I remember tweeting out that Blonde is Hollywood's exploitation of Marilyn Monroe told through the exploitation of Ana de Armas. And that mm-hmm. that's how I felt this entire film. And granted, it does have some positives here and there, particularly um, the recreation of some iconic uh, photos of Marilyn Monroe. But at the end of the day, I, I, I had so many questions. And one of them was like, who, who is this film for? Like, why do we continue to exploit uh, the, the image of Marilyn Monroe still <laughs> today? Yeah. And, and doing it in this manner it just felt unnecessary and just earlier this year if i'm not mistaken also netflix released some um here in the u.s they released the tapes of marilyn monroe and that was already laying the groundwork i guess for for this film but this one took it way uh, far up there and to some extent unfortunately it felt like this was like uh, the making of a of, of a director or a fanboyish who had fantasies of wanting to see Marilyn in certain positions um, of sexual positions or whatever. Cause no, thank you, please. one specific <laughs> scene that I literally had to pause and I was so frustrated and angry with it that I, I, I just couldn't, it's like literally borderline pornography. And I was like, no, Oh, uh, this man. isn't right and yeah the, we know there there's a, a few scenes here where where she's um nude but other than that th- there's just i was like no this was not necessary and and because of this and i've heard a lot of interviews with Ana de Armas and and how she had a lot of challenges and difficulties trying to uh, move on from portraying uh, Marilyn Monroe and, oh that sucks and I, I can't help but wonder if it was because she was being exploited literally and, and I feel so bad for her. But again, only she she knows what, what happened and only she can be the one to be outspoken about um what, what she experienced while filming this. I can only go based on what I saw in the film and I I completely hated it. Granted, she gives a, a stellar performance. I'm not taking that away from her, but other than that no uh it's just yeah see uh, i listen to stuff like this that you that you're talking about and just more and more it's like yeah i have made the right decision by sitting this out and i'm i'm a little bit afraid because netflix is really really good at campaigning so it's Mm -hmm. possible that they could get some some nominations out of this out of this hot mess i hope that they that they 
shift their focus more to like Bardo from Alejandro González Iñárritu mm. um, or Pinocchio from Guillermo del Toro. They, those two movies, which incidentally I haven't watched, um, <laughs> definitely deserve more acknowledgement and recognition. And again, nothing against my girl. I love Ana de Armas, but... <laughs> what is a classic or essential film that you have not yet seen? Okay, so there is a major franchise that it's beloved to so many, and then mm. there's one specific film that I haven't seen that every time I tell people, they're like, "What?" Let's hear. Um, let's hear both. Sorry. Let's hear both. Uh, I've never seen an Indiana Jones movie. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, I still have it on on my to do list. Um, the 2001: A Space Odyssey. Okay. Uh, yeah, that one. I think I, I'm a little bit more. A little uh, more people understand why I haven't seen 2001: Space Odyssey more than Indiana Jones, since Indiana Jones tends to be. Uh, apparently, I, I grew up with him, um, and <laughs> I, I mean, it, apparently I did, uh, but I was too busy rewatching Twister and <laughs> <laughs> rewatching Twister for the 20th time that I couldn't watch Indiana Jones. Okay, so. 2001, I think we've talked about 2001 as a selection on this on this podcast before. And I usually yeah. come to it and I usually tell people that it's just, it's it's showing what cinema can do. Like there's all kinds of things to think about with the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly something that somebody throws on for the first time just for fun. Um, it's not, and that's not to say it's bad. That's not even to say that it's not just enjoyable as, as a mind's turn off movie. I actually mm-hmm. often do throw it on as a visual while I'm editing this show and may very well do when I'm editing this show. Um, (laughs) Indiana Jones is an interesting one. So when you talk about seeing Twister at the age you did, the main trilogy, it kind of came a little bit before you. So it's in, in, in a way it's not entirely surprising that it was just, it was a franchise that was done by the time you showed up, you know? So like you, you couldn't have gotten into the, the film going experience of it, even though you're also of the age where, films had a longer shelf life on, uh, on, on home video. Um, I would say, you know, like that's the kind of thing where I would say clear a day and watch them all. Um, because they are, they are, they, they move as a franchise. I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's a property before properties were really a thing, right? If this kind of, if this series was made now, they would have kept making them and making them and making them. But the fact that they originally just made the three and were finished, um, is a lovely thing to see. The fourth one is actually kind of interesting because it doesn't deny that time has passed. Indiana Jones like acknowledges several times over that he's yeah. getting older and it doubles back on itself quite a bit. Um, there are some very silly things in it, but at the same time, if you like, they're all meant for 12 year olds at the Saturday matinee. So even if you watch that fourth one as a 12 year old in the Saturday matinee, you'll still enjoy it. And my hot take on this whole series has been there are two perfect movies in this and two flawed messes. And send your send your tweets now. Temple of Doom is a mess. Um, <laughs> and for all kinds of reasons that y'all are putting aside. Um, I, yeah. So I would say when we get closer to the fifth one that's coming, mm-hmm. clear a day, watch all four. And, you know, they're not going to change your life or anything like that. They're not. You're not, uh, you're not, you know, missing out on anything in life because you haven't seen Temple of Doom uh, or you haven't seen Indiana Jones. It's just, they are, they are, they do still hold up as a fun watch. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Give it a go. And, and I envy you the fact that you get to, to see them all for the first time. <laughs> you know what? I, I actually had the immense uh, honor of 
having that feeling of, of, of appreciating seeing something for the first time and not taking it for granted. Um, my oldest daughter, she is in marching band and they were um, playing the songs of the Wizard of Oz. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> and in the anniversary, they were playing it in the theater. I had never seen it. And oh, I wow. ended up watching it in the, for the first time ever in a movie theater. And I You're, was just blown that away. Is, yeah. It. I mean, later, there, there is a there is a, a, a question that I ask in later rounds of this, of like a film going experience that you, that yeah. you remember that like, that's going to be hard to top ever. Like the first time <laughs> seeing that movie and your yeah. daughter was, was doing that. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. All right. Last but not least for now. And I say for now, cause you're in rotation now you're coming back. This is, this <laughs> is not a one and done. You're on the yes. bench. Yes. <laughs> what is a film that for any rhyme or reason you wish you had made? You know what? I, I had a very <laughs> difficult time trying to, to select just one film. But because I just recently watched it, I know I'm gonna uh, be giving a lot of 2022 films, That's fine. and it's stuck with me. Mm. Um, I'm gonna have to say Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Okay, I can't wait to see that. But why? Why that? Okay, I cannot wrap my head around the genius of this man. How he manages to take a story that's been told time and time and time and time and time again um for decades now and yet make it his own give it his own voice give it his own style his own aesthetic and on top of that to give it multiple layers of emotional range of sentimentality you 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 go into that movie you know what's going to happen of course mm -hmm. but the way that the the, the at, not the atmosphere the era that he places this in takes place during the world war and it, in it, I, apparently he he stays very true or at least close enough to its source material so and it's just the way that he incorporates different things into the movie that you've never seen done before in, in previous adaptations it, it, this is just a testament to del toro's genius and his ability to create um movies and but to have the brilliance and also have the creativity to say it in his own voice. You watch the movie and you automatically know this is a Guillermo del Toro film. Uh, this, I, I like to say um, every time I see a movie uh, and, and there's elements that are of his own voice, I say there's it's filled with del Toro-esque things. Mm. <laughs> and the, the, this film has it all over. And man, it, it's an incredible movie. Not only my favorite animated movie of 2022, but it's easily one of my favorite movies of the year. Oh wow! It, 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 okay. It's just incredible. I I I can't wait to catch up with this movie. Uh, I'm I'm still I, I, at the, at the risk of heresy. I'm still trying to shake off Nightmare Alley because uh, I did not care for that movie at all. Um, yeah, yeah. But the rest of his the rest of his films all have a special place in my heart. And you know, I know people like to kind of throw shade at things like Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak and Shape of Water. But those movies are incredible for the amount of vision that he brings to them and the amount of craft. Like his yeah. movies, you know, even though I did not like, I didn't care for Nightmare Alley, it's still gorgeous. You know, mm -hmm. the, the craft is clearly on the screen and what he brings to it. So I can only imagine the amount of craft that he puts into Pinocchio. You know, the one thing that I always think about when I think about Del Toro is 
There was an exhibit at the Art Gallery of Ontario a few years ago of like, it was called Inside the Mind of Guillermo del Toro. Mm. It's been a traveling exhibit, so you may have even seen it. Um, It was a lot of like props and pieces from his movies, along with um, artwork that uh, inspired uh, the, the 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 films and that kind of thing and, and and his vision and even things like from his own collection of stuff um, yeah. you know that he has the one thing I will always remember is as part of this exhibit they recreated in his house in his bleak house he mm-hmm. has a reading room and in this room like the windows are perpetually raining yes yeah and so. I've got pictures from this exhibit, so I'll include them in the show notes if people are curious of the kinds of things that were in it. But I love, I love the amount of vision that he brings to his films. I've been lucky enough to hear him speak on several occasions about everything from Hitchcock to Ken Russell to uh, Bunuel. I've heard him talk about Bunuel films. Bunuel, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just, you know, I, I could listen to this man recite the phone book. He's just, he's so interesting <laughs> when he speaks. So yeah, the Pinocchio Oh, thank you for reminding me that I need to make this a priority because oh, I've, I've been slacking. Do. I will. I will. <laughs> All right. And I, yeah. And and I mean, when you put it that way, it's it's really it's it's really um, clear of why you would want this to be a film that you've made. Because I mean, I imagine like you'd be probably just like happy to be a production assistant on yeah. this movie. You know, just like running running scripts. Yeah. You know what? It, it's dawned on me that. I, I live in the era um, where Guillermo del Toro is alive, uh, similarly mm-hmm. to what other people would have said about, I don't know, an Alfred Hitchcock or something. And the fact that we get to witness his 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 work is just oh, yeah, amazing. it's 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 wonderful to see this to see these things in real time. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so happy that I that I get to experience these things. Well said, good call. I like it. 2022 <laughs> is fine. I don't you know we don't need to go back into the depths. You want to keep it in the modern era? I'm here for it. I yeah. love it. Good work. All right, that's a lot about Rosa. We're going to learn more when she inevitably shows back up. We have a movie to talk about. And while we normally like to keep things spoiler-free on this show, this episode we kind of can't because there's some things that happen in this movie that really affect the overall um, experience. So please consider yourself warned that we will be getting into a spoiler-laden discussion. But please do come back right after this quick break. We are going to talk about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, right after this. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever is directed by Ryan Coogler. It's written by Coogler along with Joe Robert Cole. It stars Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Daniel Guerrera, Winston Duke, Dominique Thorne, Michaela Cole, Tanak Huerta Mejia, Martin Freeman, and Angela Bassett. Wakanda Forever begins with the death of a king and a protector. An undisclosed illness has taken T'Challa, the Black Panther we have come to know and love through several films. He's gone leaving the reclusive nation of Wakanda both grief-stricken and seemingly vulnerable to attack. One such challenge comes from the underwater nation of Talokan and their mutant protector Namor. That's 
with um, Mejia. Namor isn't thrilled that with Wakanda so fortified, the rest of the world has been plunging the depths looking for the resource of Viperanium and messing up his realm. He offers Wakanda a deal. Work with him to better protect both countries or else. Wakanda, now under the leadership of Queen Ramunda, that's Angela Bassett, goes with or else. So it goes that the two nations find themselves at war. Wakanda Forever can be described in many ways. Epic, emotional, sad, humorous, reflective, messy, the list goes on. One word that is essential when talking about this film is big. The scale, the story, the legacy, the emotional weight, everything about this film is massive, right down to the runtime. But with size comes risk of scaling up too much and missing the mark with an over-effort. So, pop quiz hotshot, is this film trying to do too much? Um, I think so. <laughs> uh, I, I generally think so. Uh, I, I understand um, Ryan Coogler had a difficult task at hand, um, having to follow up a critically acclaimed and, and the only uh, superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It is an Oscar winner. Um, not for best picture though and when you have this immense responsibility of not only delivering um, to hopefully um, probably not repeat um, uh, such a claim as being an academy award nominated movie but on addition additionally to do it with without your main protagonist without Chadwick Boseman I can't imagine what Ryan Coogler must have been going through um throughout this whole thing having to rewrite the script and 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 so on and so forth so with that out of the way I I have to say that I'm mixed on it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm mixed because I do believe it is trying to do a lot. It's trying to tell us um, the the state that Wakanda is in after the passing of T'Challa. I I wasn't too fond of having them blend in what happened to Chadwick. Um, Having it come and play part also for it to happen to T'Challa. There's a few incidents here and there where they say, oh yes, he had an undisclosed illness and he didn't want to tell anybody which is what happened with Chadwick. And I, I, I wasn't too, it just didn't, just didn't sit well with me for some reason. Because when you do that, it makes me believe that Lupita Nyong'o, um, Angela Bassett, Letitia Wright, they're not in character as much as they are actually I'm watching Lupita Nyong'o grief on screen, which is probably what I'm also seeing. Yeah, And it's hard to disconnect what happens in real life with what's going on in the film. And that's one of the things that, again, I know it's a really fine line to walk through, but it just did not sit that well with me. I don't want to say understand what they must have gone through because I don't. Um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't been in a movie set and have worked for years with um, a, a, an actor, a fellow colleague, and then so having them suddenly pass away. 
but I, I just can't imagine what it must have been like. So in that sense, I, I appreciate that they do pay homage to him in, in just the, the way the film opens. It directly um, addresses that situation and it, it immediately hooks you in and, and emotionally. I was crying within the first five minutes. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> they, they know how to do this. Um, they, they eventually do it right. But it just didn't didn't sit well with me that they did it that way. You get to the core of the matter um, beyond the beyond the point of scale and size, and yeah. if this film is trying to do too much, is that the challenge that it faces yeah. is the the level of difficulty is off the chart. They would have had a hard time on just on a surface level of doing what they did again. You know, that first film was so successful on every level. It is arguably the best film that Marvel has ever put out. Um, it, you know, like you say, Academy Award winner. Um, it it showed what the genre is capable of. So on the surface, you are trying to follow a masterpiece. Yeah. And that in itself is difficult. So number one. And then you get this emotional curveball that you are trying to grapple with and still, because it's a business, make money. Like I am sure that Ryan Coogler was deeply tempted to make an entire two hour movie just about Wakanda trying to cope. I am certain that crossed his mind, but we're not, people aren't going to pay to see that, you know, like I would, and you would, and a lot of our friends would, but in you know in, in times where we're all losing so many people like it's hard to say go watch some superheroes deal with a deep amount of grief that oh by the way is real because we lost this actual person we're not just killing a character we're dealing with the fact that we lost a brother the level of difficulty was off the chart and then also just you know there's the minor thing that marvel always has to do of moving the overall story forward that I think was where they maybe got a little ahead of themselves because this idea to um, bring in not just a new character, because they do that lots. Mm -hmm. They did that with Black Panther. They actually brought him into the story at a very, very appropriate time in an appropriate way. Um, not just the character of Namur, but the whole realm of Talokan you're not just introducing a character, you're introducing an entire nation. And that with the story of the grief may have been too much. Um, now that said, and I, I'm going to pose this to you. Mm -hmm. I liked this movie. I don't know. Like I just didn't love it. Right. I think I'm in the same boat because I did like it. I wanted to love it. Trust me. Those trailers mm. had me excited. I was very much looking forward to it. But yeah, I only, I like it. Um, I, I have some issues with it, but I am right in the middle, um, right in the middle with it. To kind of piggyback to what you were saying about Marvel's going to be Marvel and they have to prepare, build up, introduce us to new characters, um, including uh, Ironheart here. Though, though, th there's two subplots I could have done without, which it, it just added more stuff stuff and it, it felt like it was just too much uh too many ingredients 
where when I'm tasting the final product, it, it just, I'm still hungry. It's not satisfying me. And I know it's, it's unfortunate that, that I have to uh, review a movie and sadly place my expectations here. But when I'm talking um, about Ironheart and the Martin Freeman character, those two subplots, I, I could have done without. Mm-hmm. And I think not only would it have shortened the runtime um, of the film, but I think it would have been able to give us more time with other characters like Umbaku and Nakia and Shuri and um, Queen Angela Bassett. And, and I would have rather spent more time with them than to be introduced to Ironheart. And specifically because I know she's going to have her own show coming out <laughs> uh, not, not that far from now. So I, I just feel... Time was given to other characters where we could have spent more time in Wakanda, more time with Namor, um, more time within that in that underworld. Because everything they did with him and his and his world, I absolutely love. Um, but obviously, the runtime was just too much. It, it was too long for me, and I, I think those additional characters didn't necessarily work for me. Yeah, I, I'm with you. If if I mean, if this film was called anything else, I probably would have had a different reaction to it. I probably would have been talking about how it's a it's an interesting exploration of a character and you know superheroes dealing with grief and and that kind of thing. But given that it is this world and these characters, I'm I'm like I'm coming into it, admittedly with a certain amount of baggage. But we have to unpack that baggage, and that's that's kind of a promise made. So the fact that it's not a promise kept. It's, it's not, you know, I'm not apologizing for this movie. I'm not trying to say, well, it's just that in terms of delivering on what it wants to do, what it like, I, I go there in the service of Kugler and the story he wants to tell. Mm-hmm. So if he wants to tell me the story of Wakanda's grief, I'm here for it. If he wants to tell me the story of Wakanda's war with Talokan, I'm here for it. If you want to tell me both, okay. I'm here for it. I don't know if you're going to be able to tell me both, but I'm happy to see you try. And that is where I feel it falls short. You you kind of touched on it at the beginning. The handling of Bozeman's death was always going to be difficult. How mm-hmm. do you think how do you think that they did in terms of handling the death of the character, the death of the man and honoring his legacy within this film? I, I think they did um, okay. I, I, I think they did it right. I, I can't imagine a, a better way to do it uh, than the way they did it. Directly addressing it right in the opening sequence. Um, obviously doing that Marvel logo with him as well. Mm-hmm. Again, it already gets you emotionally invested and, and you understand what these characters are experiencing. And then the fact that the way it closes as well, kind of giving yeah. us that 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 nice little type bow um, works. It, it works very well. I think they did handle it um, appropriately. I, you know what I think about in this movie was I am really, really happy of a couple things. I'm, I mean, on the one hand, I'm happy we didn't have to see him die. Like yes. they, they very easily could have bluffed it with a body double and some sort of catastrophe and and watch him have to die um so I'm, I'm happy that we didn't have to do that i am wildly happy and i got and this is this says something to kugler's relationship with bozeman i am supremely happy that they didn't um mocap 
Bozeman into a scene the way that they've been doing with some other uh, actors who have passed mm. away. I'm looking mm-hmm. at you, Star Wars. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, I was. There was a moment where that crossed my brain, especially when Shuri went to the ancestral yes. realm. I'm like, oh god, here we go. That shows respect um, across the board, but you know, at, at a producer level too, because I'm sure that somebody probably mentioned it. There's no mm. way that nobody said, "Can we get him into the movie in some way?" And I gotta believe that from the top down, they're like, we can't do that. Like that is really gonna upset a lot of people. So, you know, to that realm, I think that they handled it reasonably well. I think yeah. one thing about this movie I think worked, and I wanted to ask you about it, is the first film too, and this film especially, I really think that they do interesting things with Wakanda as more of a matriarchy. Yes. You know, something that really um really really capture my attention and something I, I wholeheartedly appreciate it's exactly that um that we do have a queen um in in this movie who sadly has to take over her son's um seat but i mean i've always loved um that fact about black panther that you do have a female um warriors here protecting uh the 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 crown pretty much the the seat the uh royalty here and they do it so i'm always outspoken about diversity and representation and always talking about female and and latinos so uh, to talk about obviously namor which i'm gonna get into in a little bit but to have that female representation here because for a good portion of the movie, like a good portion of it, all we see are female characters from Ironheart to Shuri and, and, and seeing how women have to grieve um, it's such a major loss, which isn't easy um, because, and granted, I'm not saying men don't grieve or anything as yeah, such, yeah, but no, I'm no, saying that um, as a mother, as a sister, as, as, as a friend, um, women are expected to be strong. There are certain expectations that women have to, and I think Angela Bassett encapsulates that <laughs> like wholeheartedly. And and the fact that she's a strong, like her, the opening sequence when they're at the, the UN and and she just sits there and just that that uh, that her royal presence and she's just so magnet- magnetic throughout the, um, the movie. You have to be strong because you ha- now you have the responsibility of an entire country behind you. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you have to mourn. Yes, you have to go um, isolate yourself for a little bit. Just not too long. Otherwise, you're going to have the Namors or the, uh, the Talokans <laughs> over here trying to um, not take over Wakanda. But you, there's something that an issue you have to address over here. So I, I love that they do explore that. In addition, I also absolutely adore how they um how they showcase different ways of mourning there's no perfect way of doing it everybody does it differently um i lost my mother like six years ago and sadly i took perhaps not the best route uh i developed um i mean i'm clean now but sadly i developed an opiate addiction for a year or two and obviously i was able to get um treatment and now i've been clean for a good three four years but for you but it's I understand wanting to occupy yourself and like Shuri does here. Yeah. She just drowns herself in her technology, drowns herself in her work while Angela Bassett, she wants to confront it. She 
isolates herself um, and just thinks, thinks about um, her son and just that way she can accept it more and such. So it's, there's different ways to do it. I think the younger you are, which we definitely see here, we see the difference between Angela Bassett and Shuri and how they both do it differently. And the younger you are, the more likely you are to not accept it as rapidly as others because we're not experienced enough to understand with such massive loss and how to deal with that we'd rather just ignore it um or or just not think about it either through drugs the way i did or just drowning yourself in in um in your work so i love that they did that too, that they have the different ways of mourning and grieving. And then it, it does showcase, it does go through the steps of not accepting it, the five steps of grieving. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's stunning what um, this film and this, and this world does first of all with, with matriarchy, which I'll get back to in a second, mm-hmm. but with grief, I mean, I got to tip my hat to Marvel in this respect, more and more and more, they have really been trying to lay bare the fact that people get messed up when they go through grief. You know, they, they now they don't always land it, but they are really trying to make it part of their storytelling. Um, in all, like it, that's kind of been an under uh, an undercurrent of Phase Four is yes. loss. You know, of yeah. watching people try to process loss in all the ways that they do. Um, you know, whether it is anger, whether it is denial, whether it is I want to just you know flip a switch and nobody remembers it happened because we did that. Um, yeah. You know, I it, it's it's been an interesting thing to see that I think people aren't giving enough credit to. But with this role um, with Bassett um, as 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 the queen. What I think is fantastic uh, as Ramunda, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me is there is a moment where she has Okoye in front of her after Okoye loses Shuri on a mission. And in that moment, she takes her to task. Now, it's kind of shocking because here is somebody who you think Okoye has her shit together. Like from the moment Okoye was introduced, T'Challa may be in danger. But she is not going to ever be in danger because you will always, you know, be the person who gets shit done. And yet she screws up, not deliberately, but she, you know, she talks the queen into a mission, fails, and she stands in front of her and the queen is like, you know what, you screwed up and this is not the first time and I'm done. And it's, you get it not in a way that makes you think that Ramunda is keeping score, but just in a way where it's like, the last time you screwed up, it was bad. And I have done everything I could do to put that behind me and work together because that's what we do here, you know, in this society that we have built. We don't yeah. hold on to shit. And yet here we are again. And now I'm sorry, but I've got that and I got this and you're out. And you look and it's like she's not telling her in a way to belittle her. Like she's not trying to whatever the female version of emasculate is, although there probably isn't because you're far more evolved and don't actually do that to each other. But what, you know, she's not trying to cut Okoye down in this moment. She's just laying out facts and watching her in this film as the head of this country is incredible because she has to make 
decision after decision after decision, not only in what is her best interest, but in the best interest of this country on a global stage while she is carrying this grief. Like she cannot bury herself in work. She cannot bury herself in vices. She's got shit to do. And we watch her from scene to scene to scene. I think it's really, really telling that in this film, she's got the white hair. I think she had it in the last film too, but I, I don't think that's an accident. Like that was a very, very specific style choice by by all involved to show off what she's going through and the kind of power she still carries. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And- now you wanted to talk about Namor. Let's talk about Namor. <laughs> Namor. Hey, I, I, I need to clear this out. But if Namor asks me to burn the world with him, <laughs> I wouldn't think about it twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> um, you know what? I as, as, as a first-generation Chicana whose parents are Mexican, uh, my ancestry comes from the Aztecs and the Mayans. And to see the Mayan culture represented on such scale and to have that bring forward with also people that are from Mayan ancestry. It's just the amount of pride I felt watching that is is immense. So to to learn that the Noche Huerta was first cast for this i was like oh okay this is interesting <laughs> because i i haven't read any of the comics i am aware that the comics namor is completely different from namor um in the film so the fact that uh kugler would actually switch things up and they would give him a different origin story and 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 such was just something that that sparked my interest but to see in it to see it unfold on screen and 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 just to see the Noche Huerta with such, I, I've been a fan of the Noche for for quite a while. I've been seeing a lot of his movies um, as of late, and the only thing I haven't seen that he's been a part of, I think it's Narcos. I haven't had the chance to watch that um, yet. But it just, it's just wow, it's mind boggling. Um, it's mind boggling to see costumes the costumes in this film oh my god oh yeah yeah they they i mean they really <gasps> the same way that they mined afrofuturism for the first film and certainly for yes. what you know you see them here they really went into great lengths for the mayan culture for everything to do with talocan you know like right yeah. down to the artwork to you know what they're wearing the stylistic and not in a way that feels exploitative yes it, yeah, absolutely. It feels more like they are paying homage and they're doing it on a such respectful way. And, and it's just incredible. I, I was, my jaw dropped. Um, and Namor, I mean, frankly, he's easily one of my favorite villains. And I'm, I'm sure I'm being a little biased here. But <laughs> that introduction to Namor, come on. Easily one of the best intros to an anti-hero. This I have to say about Ryan Coogler. Uh, something is maybe at times here and there, um, his, his writings about either um, his heroes or, or the protagonists aren't necessarily on, uh, always hit and, and imperfect. But his anti-heroes, even if we go to the first Black Panther, um, they're, they're exceptional. The way he writes his anti-heroes are just incredible and what they do with Namor here it's I absolutely love it I absolutely loved 
his costume. I loved, I think that Nochuerta was amazing in here. He was menacing. Uh, the way they, they introduced him is just, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> what a way, what a flex. Ah, this is just a helicopter. Yeah. Let's get rid of let's this. Let's get rid of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's throw this over here. When Namor gives Shuri that tour under Talocan and just to see the pyramids, that throne, oh my gosh, that throne. I mean, what I think what is one of like it's 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 both a it's both a blessing and a curse of this movie that the whole world of Talokan and the creation of Namur is so stunning that I think in some ways we kind of shortchange it by not exploring it deeper. I mean, let's, yes. let's let's back up half a step and say that you introduced a world of underwater people and made them fighting badasses. Like anytime, I feel like anytime you've got this kind of a story and you say, oh, they're underwater people, like people roll their eyes. It's like, oh, we're gonna watch fish, aren't we? You know, we're gonna, we're gonna see, we're gonna see octopuses drumming, or we're gonna people see, see people riding seahorses. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a real culture of badasses that can tear yeah. apart an already established culture of badasses in ways that you have not seen yet. Um, and you know, you are not going to care that you're underwater or they're blue because you're just going to watch them get shit done. On the one hand, it's beautifully created and beautifully established as to how this, how the culture came about, what they are about, um, their, their legacy within this world. They've been here for centuries, but much like Wakanda, they've just been keeping to themselves Mm -hmm. because they can, they don't need us. Um, and yet we can't explore it fully. We have to buddy it up with another story that is, it's got, it's got its own baggage. And it's like, I know that we like to introduce these characters by pairing them up with other characters first, because we seem to have this aversion with going into a whole new world. But I don't know that this was, this, this seems like a disservice mm-hmm. of marrying these two worlds when they are so rich with possibilities on their own. What's frustrating, like I said, those subplots could have been gone, or at least you can bring them back, like in the post-credit scene. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I wouldn't have mind that kind of like they did with Shang Chi. Yeah. Um. So I, I, yeah, I, I was like, wow, just mind blown by uh, the world they they created and the fact that they got Latinos. They they got the Nochuerta. They they got um a lot of Latinos to play this role felt more granted. They were blue most of the time. Um, and <laughs> I mean, which, I which is, I know. And that's, you know, Marvel has a problem with that too. Let's, let's not, let's not, <laughs> let's not take this away. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, 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 let's deal with, you know, the obvious. So Shuri takes on the mantle of yeah. black Panther before that Shuri is dealing with a lot of survivor's guilt. Like Shuri is the kind of person who fixes shit. Shuri's got a million and one ideas in her head at any given moment. The first film, she says flat out, just because something works doesn't mean it can't be improved. That's Shuri's whole purpose in life is to create things, to, you know, answer the questions that other people cannot answer. She's the one looking in the face of Bruce Banner in the, in a a few films ago saying, why didn't you do it this way? And this guy who's a (laughs) genius is like, we didn't think of that, you know? Her whole purpose in this universe is she can come up with anything, and yet she cannot come up with a way to save her brothers. So already, you know, she is carrying just massive, massive weight 
on her shoulders um, and doesn't want to process. And then we thrust her into this role. And as we do, the choice of who she faces when she's taking on the mantle is kind of interesting. You wouldn't have thought that in, you know, when she goes to the ancestral plane uh, after taking the herb, I thought to myself, number one, two, and three, she's going to see Ramunda. I thought to myself, number four, she'll see T'Chaka. Number five, maybe in some weird kind of disrespectful way, she'll see T'Challa. If you'd given me 20 bets, I never would have guessed she's going to see Killmonger. Right. And that, you know, going out into what kind of panther and queen are you about to be? How brilliant it is Ryan Coogler that... (laughs) Right? That he writes Shuri to be a genius, to be more than a genius, and to have the cap- the capacity and capability of saving others. And she can't save her brother, which makes it more tragic, more painful. Like you said, she has survivor's guilt because of it. It's brilliant because that is the person she's becoming. She's becoming a person filled with revenge and anger. And all she wants is to avenge. And and it's further fueled uh, because she's already grieving uh, the loss of her brother. And it's further fueled by what um, my beautiful Namor does a few sequences before this one. Sorry, there's a lady that sells tamales. So oh, cool. she's outside. <laughs> I know. She always comes. Sorry about I'm that. I'm keeping that I, in. No, I am no. totally keeping that in this oh, show. No. That is fantastic. 295 shows. That is the best thing that has ever happened in this podcast. Oh, can I have just, one? I want one. Just in case you're wondering what what what, what area of the hood I live in. I, I live where a lady comes around every Saturday and Sunday morning selling oh. tamales. <laughs> I am living the wrong life. That's fantastic. <laughs> I've never wanted tamales more than I want it right now. Right now? <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, you know, um, Shuri, I, she, I mean, Shuri, like, Ramunda kind of places a point on it, but then Ramunda is is shuffled off as well. So yes. we, we forget. Shuri was blipped, so she didn't have to deal with that loss. Shori, in several short years, Shori lost her father, her brother, her mother. She lost her brother and her mother a year apart. And then she lost her father somewhere in the neighborhood of six years ago. She's dealing with a lot. Like, you got to think that her anger must be really, really high at this moment. So for Killmonger to say to her, what kind of panther are you going to be? You know, to say nothing of the fact that when she does finally face off with Namor, there's something there. You know, because on the one hand, Namor kind of invited her into Talokan under the banner of truce. And that was yeah. not entirely true. You know, like he was he was sort of trying to play her. Like you can kind of tell that. Not entirely, but he was sort of trying to use her as a way to get to Ramunda. And so she's got all of this swirling inside of her. All this grief, all this confusion, all this anger. And okay, now you're super strong. You're the leader of a nation and you have lethal power. What kind of panther and queen are you going to be? There's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how fitting that her outfit, her Black Panther um, outfit, is kind of also a resemblance of Killmonger's, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, it gives us an idea of her state of mind and, and what she's going out here to do. There's some sequences here, or I don't want to say plot holes, but you know what? Yes, I am. Because sure. 
hey, for being the proudest of an Academy Award nominee film, I, I this ob- this movie is obviously held at a higher standard than the previous ones. Yeah. If it were a Dwayne Johnson movie, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> it's all good. Um, but um, there's some, for example, uh, we we have the Angela Bassett character, and okay. I mean, it's a spoiler movie, so okay, whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, she goes to. I also love how they pronounce Haiti. I think it's Haiti or something like mm-hmm. that. And um, to recruit or ask um, Nakia Lupita Nyong'o to rescue. Um, I, I wouldn't say rescue. Well, yeah, I guess rescue. Um, Shuri. And, and then this is where my my uh, not beef, but uh, yeah, a little bit of beef is I'm like, all right, Shuri asked to go down there with with um, with Namor. So it, it's not like she was taken against her will, but uh, potato potatoes. Um, and <laughs> and to to go rescue Shuri. But she already knew about the existence of this somebody else. Yeah. Yet you would recruit the person who's the mother of this somebody else to go risk her life to go rescue your daughter. I don't know. From a mother's standpoint, I mean, I have four kids, all of them girls for um, uh, out of all things, right? And I don't know, man. I don't know if I would ask another mother to go risk their life to save my own kid. I mean, I guess it's a selfish mom. You, you would do it. But if she's the mother of your grandson, um, why would you go out there and, and recruit them to do that? But maybe I, well, I'm just being I a mean, little. This is, this is where it being a matriarchy comes into play, right? Is their mothers. You know, like they're, they're not all, it's not like just because you're a queen or just because you're a panther, or just because you're Dora Milaje, you are also not a daughter and potentially a mother. That's just part of the package. And I mean, the, the whole, the whole angle of Nakia is a very, it's always been an interesting one because on the yeah. one hand, she's not, she's, 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 she's always got an interesting position in the landscape of this movie, because she's mm-hmm. not Shori who goes in there and builds and fixes shit. She's not Okoye who goes in there and just kicks ass and is a strategist. She's clearly a warrior. She's clearly a, a you know, really good intelligence because in the first movie we see how she's, you know, got herself into a, a, a spot where she can get people out where other people can't, but it's never, that is one thing about these films that is never really fully explored is who exactly Nakia is supposed to be and mm-hmm. what role she serves in all of this. You know, it's, it's, it's a little, we know that obviously that the entire royal family cares about her a great deal as yeah. a daughter, as a partner, as a sister. You know, like we, we can see that quite clearly. But at the same time, her, you know, strategic role is never entirely clear, right up to the fact that, you know, she, you know, she is who she is in this movie and has decided to go into reclusion, you know, on her own decision and Ramunda's decision. But there's a conversation there that we weren't privy to that needs to, that I think needs to be explored. There's a conversation where we find out why she wasn't at the funeral. There might've been another conversation where it's like, okay, so now I understand that. What was the conversation where now you need to come back? Because I feel like that's something I would kind of like to know. 
I, I would have rather have those conversations and see what's happening there rather than have Martin Freeman and the other one know that, oh, yeah, yeah it's my ex-wife and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Oh, I'm in your or, kitchen or any, and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Or any of the <laughs> Riri Williams time. Yeah, yes. yeah. There's, 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 more, there's more Wakanda things to get to. Yes. There's more Talokan things to get to. You know, we don't need some of this extra stuff. Um, it was it was a really really daunting challenge, and to be clear, neither one of us are saying that this movie is bad. Like that's no. the thing. Like you know, there are there are way there are way worse films. There are way worse Marvel films. It's not bad, but that's the whole thing. It's not bad, but but you know, yeah. yeah. Um, we end every matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Um, Rosapara, what would be your souvenir from Wakanda Forever? Can I just take no more? <laughs> sure. Yes. Go by all means. Yes, you can. Um, with his throne. Yeah. If there's a, 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 I'm not a big person on hot toys or anything like that, but if I do see a, 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 uh, Throne with Namor in it, I would yeah. probably go out of my way to buy that. Christmas is I'm coming. Not, put not, it on the list. Yes. I'm sure it exists out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want the car. I want oh Riri Williams' car, which is, you know, terrible on gas, terrible on mileage, but man, it looks pretty. Um, I can tell that she put care into yes. putting it together. I can tell that Shuri put care into putting it back together. Oh, that car looks like it would be so much fun to drive. I want that car. Yeah, absolutely. We, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Rosapara, moment of truth, what kind of forever? Yeah, right now I'm still sitting mixed right in the middle. So okay. I was go with two out of four okay okay that's cool i'm gonna go two and a half now two and a half for a black panther film like you know there's a difference between like this two and a half and say a uh don't worry darling two and a half which i also gave two and a half this movie i think is much better it's just that this film comes with the weight of what is our what is already done and what it gives us like it gives us some incredible things but on all fronts it never quite goes far enough because it seems like it's trying to do too much. Like I actually want Ryan Coogler to give me now a Talokan movie. You know, I, yes, I, I, I want him. I want him to direct that film whenever we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, maybe you loved it. Maybe you're the kind of person who thinks this is one of the best films of the year. Maybe you hated it. Maybe you think this is hot garbage for whatever reason. Uh, I'd love to hear. Uh, let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash dark matinee. We are going to take a very quick break here on the matinee cast. We will come back to discuss a few more movies right after this. So come on back. We are back. It's Matt Nacast 295. I'm Ryan McNeil. She's Rosa Parra. We've been talking about Wakanda forever and all of the interesting things and heavy things and lackluster things that come with that film. Uh, it's the other side. It's the part of the show where we talk about more movies, other movies that you could go on to uh, for better or for worse after um, 
Wakanda Forever. I'm going to start us off because I have two movies and uh, Rosa has one, so we're going to kind of break tradition today. We've been doing that a lot lately, so actually you're you're actually kind of right on right on right on the line with exactly what we're trying to do. Um, so the first movie I thought about was I thought about the idea um, that I brought up of matriarchy, and I wanted to think about more movies where that is a theme. And oddly enough, it's another film that's messy, uh, and I, I think. In the case of this movie, that's a feature, not a bug. Um, I went back just a few years to 2018 and think that if you like the ideas of matriarchy in this movie, that maybe you'd want to go to the 2018 version of Suspiria. Did you see that movie? No, I have not. Oh, it's so... It's so weird. <laughs> it is so, it's so trippy, so strange in a lot of... like I've seen the, the original one is bonkers. The original one is just you know, exploitation, Mario Bava weirdness with all kinds, all kinds of colorful, strange films. And it has one of the horror scenes that has made me laugh the hardest where a woman gets dropped into a room of barbed wire and can't get, can't get out. And it's hysterical because on several times you can see like, she can quite clearly get out, but she has to like kind of act like she's all stuck. And I just, I howl laughing at it every time, but the new Suspiria, directed by uh, Luca Guadagnino, is so weird, so dark. It's got a lot of the colors again. It's so trippy. The cast goes and goes and goes. Like everybody's favorite uh, final girl at the moment, Mia Goth, is in this movie. Chloe Grace Mm -hmm. Moretz is in this movie. Uh, Dakota Johnson showing very much what she's capable of doing is in this movie. Tilda Swinton does her Tilda Swinton thing. And... The music is amazing. The visuals are are bonkers. And it's just got this whole undercurrent of matriarchy running through it. Um, it, it you're not, is, 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 is horror your, your beat? Is that, is that a, your bag? It, it's not. Um, like it's not of, scary. Right. Yeah. As of late, um, I mean, previously, cause I was taking a course actually on ho- the horror genre, um, hoping to be a little bit more, um, comfortable with, with mm-hmm. the genre. Cause if, if I'm going to be a, a critic, I need to be open to all, to okay. everything out there. But yeah, Suspiria. Yeah. It seemed very weird to me and I'm working <laughs> on my artsy side of the movies as well. Um, but the moment I heard Tilda Swinton was in, I was like, okay, it must be a weird film. Yeah. It's, um, but I'm, it's on my list. Um, yeah. I, I eventually would get around to it. Um, I'd be interested no. to I'd be interested to read what you what you write about it or what you podcast about it because as mm-hmm. I said, like the themes of matriarchy in that movie are are very front and center in in a gloriously weird way. I think it's right. kind of interesting sometimes when men try to tell stories of matriarchy, like Kugler in his films and Guaranino in his mm. film. It's 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 kind of an interesting thing to do because you're tell it's not your story to tell necessarily. Um, but I don't think that that's bad. You know, I think that th- there is a way to do it as long as you're not like overrunning the conversation. So mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting thing. And I mean, I would much rather watch Kugler or um, um, Guadagnino talk about matriarchy than I would try to watch Andrew Dominic talk about Marilyn Monroe again. Oh, so, gosh. you know, thank thank you for that. Um, <laughs> what was what was your film? You got one to talk about. What's your other side yeah. for uh, for Black Panther? So my other side, and this is just dealing with the Noche Huerta, because again, I've been following his career for quite some time. I'm sensing and, a theme to this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that one of the films that 
makes him stand out and it gives us showcases us a little bit more of his range and his acting skills is 2020's um son of monarchs which i was talking about like crazy when it first came out i was i first watched it at sundance at the sundance film festival and then it was released later that year and the Nelchuerta, he he in this movie he plays a Mexican biologist um, who's residing in New York, and he needs to visit his um hometown uh, in Michoacan in Mexico to um, because his grandmother passes away. So here we go, grief. <laughs> also another uh, an extra um topic that ha- uh, they has in common with Wakanda Forever and, and and this one though this one's very uh, it's visually stunning because in in this little town of Michoacan is where all the monarch butterflies gather when they migrate uh annually right before the day of the dead so it, this journey obviously follows him his coping grieving coping mechanisms but also his fascination um to these butterflies and obviously um watching a lot of of, of he he has these questions these fascinating questions about genetics and genes and which um, which genes activate or are not active to give the butterfly um, these certain des- um, designs but also the colors mm-hmm. uh, that that they have and then eventually he has a little metamorphosis of his own on and on a personal level so it, it's his acting ability in this movie it's superb it's very incredible so when i heard he was in black panther i'm like okay i can see why um because he's he's an incredible he's an outstanding actor so yeah if you want to see a little bit more of his acting skills check out uh this film uh, i am i am here for it i have not seen this movie but now i really need to move it up my list the one that i always come back to with him is uh, and, and I mean, it's another horror movie uh, in a way, um, but I, this one I bet you've seen. I always come back to Tigers Are Not Afraid. Ah, right? I love tigers. There yes. we go. All right. So yeah, you're, you're okay with scary movies. We got this. Okay. Yeah. So I, I definitely need to catch up with Sons of Son of Manarchs. I want to say Sons of Manarchs like it's Sons of Anarchy. What's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> okay. So I've got one more and I'm actually really happy that you're here to talk about this movie with me because it's a movie I adore. Um, and I tried to think about a film that talks about um, grief and legacy and, um, you know, the, the nature of family and its transcendence into, you know, the afterlife. And I just went back a few years to 2017. And I thought, if you want to cleanse the palate after the somewhat messiness of Wakanda forever, and you want to see a movie that does a lot of these things in a stunning way and does it better Maybe you should fire up your Disney Plus and put on Coco. Ah, yes. I love this movie. I, I, this is a movie that made me weep the first time I saw it. This is a movie whose visuals are off the chart. Um, and a movie that just does so many things so economically. Yeah, and... I mean, ironic that I'm talking about Son of Monarchs, which focuses on the monarch butterfly. Um, it is believed that when the monarch's butterfly migrate to Michoacan, those are your ancestors. And that's why you have the symbolism of the marigold. And to transition it to Coco, it's just beautifully done there. We didn't have this plan, y'all. Um, no, but... no. I didn't. Really, I, honestly, I didn't really you know, think it through. I was, I was like, oh, you know what? This is going to play. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and, and and that's the 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 belief behind it that when the monarchs butterfly, it, they migrate literally a couple of days before Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and that's the the, the belief of that. So, ah, uh, I adore Coco. I absolutely love that film, and and just it, it, it's one of those movies I also cry every single time I watch it. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, what what a better a better movie to talk about grief and how to deal with it and and I'm glad that a lot of people get to learn a little bit about our customs and how we honor and how we um, pay respects to our ancestors that are still guiding us from even though they're not here with us physically they are in our hearts and they they again it's another topic they, like you just mentioned that's here in Wakanda. Um, where they say they're not here with us physically, but they're within us, um, whether they're families or friends or, or so on. So, yes. I mean, I love the one thing I do enjoy about um, Wakanda Forever is that it has this moment between the scientist and the spiritual where one of them says, you know, I, I go out into the I go out into a place that's quiet and I feel yeah. Our, my son and you know her daughter is there to say no you don't you just you that's that's construct to make you feel yeah. happy or make you feel comforted or both but that's not real and yet like you know that that's 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 something that's that's a hard conversation to have and yet mm-hmm. you know a film like coco it's the same thing it's trying to sell people you know like this this is why we celebrate this is that people are gone but they're never really gone as long as one person remembers who they were they're never gone and and yeah. you know to kind of face that we're kind of forever tries to do a lot of things and can't stick the landing on all of them coco packs a lot of shit into a children's film yeah. and hits every single mark so beautifully i i completely agree and yeah. as much as i didn't love Wakanda Forever. What I do have to um, give it is, is its acknowledgement and its props is that Chadwick Boseman is not physically in the movie, but you feel his presence. Oh, yeah. Not only seeing the mural, but you you can feel him somehow. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, you can feel his presence throughout the movie. And Very much so. It, yeah, and and that's what makes it much more emotional yeah there i mean there is a scene where they kind of flip through shuri's memories but we don't even really need that like we do see him we do feel him from moment to moment the Mm -hmm. film does a really really good job of that um yeah these are some some movies that uh you could go on to and and enjoy uh they'd make a good double feature with Wakanda forever in some ways for better uh you know and, and just kind of make some of those things worth in the case of suspiria Good luck. Uh, I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't love it, but at the same time, I can't forget it. And and if I had to watch it, I think other people should too. Um, but there we go. That is episode two hundred ninety five of the Matinee Cast. I am so so thankful that Rosa was able to come by and join us. Come on back Monday, November twenty eighth for episode two ninety six. We are going to talk about the Fablemans, which Rosa got to see last night. Um, <laughs> we didn't get to record because of it, uh, and uh, we'll talk about that in depth. Rosa is everywhere latinx lens daily chela their league do you have anything coming up in the next week or so that uh, you want to plug 
Um, well, I'm going to be writing. I'm going to be doing an article on Wakanda Forever, but I'm also going to be um, writing about the AFI Fest. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, so that should be coming out soon. Good. Watch for that. And, uh, you know, Twitter's on fire these days, but if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Yeah, you can follow me Twitter, Instagram, I think also Letterboxd at Rosa's Reviews. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes there. You can also find them on all the usual places, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google, Apple, Stitcher Radio, Tune in, Radio Public, you name it, I'm there. If I'm not there, let me know. I'll put my show there. It's easy. It's free. You get alerts when new episodes drop, and you can follow. Feedback on Wakanda Forever can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca on Twitter. I am matinee underscore CA, and there's always Facebook. Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Rosa? Oh, no final thoughts. This was a blast. It was a, a pleasure doing this episode with you. I, I, I mean, the only the only real downside of this episode is now I want tamales and I <laughs> I got nothing, you know, like there, there's a there's not there's a half decent burrito place around the corner from me, but that's not the same. It is not. No. And how fitting, right? We got the tamale lady. We talked about Coco and Tenoch Huerta. Just yeah. a Latino film. It, it's, you know, I, I got to do this. I got to do this more often. I gotta, seriously, I got to get you on more often. It's way, much, way more fun. No offense to all my other guests. I love you all. I'm sorry. For Rosa, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.